We're so great that, uh, grateful that you are gathered here today during this time. You know, we believe that with the, with the birthing of our Mansfield campus and all that God is doing there, we believe that God has brought all of our paths together for such a time as this. God has taken all of who you are, all of who we are with your experiences and your backgrounds, and he's brought us all into this great moment. You know, kind of like the Cajuns would say, like this great big gumbo. He's put us all in there to use for his glory and his purposes. Do you believe that? God has a specific plan and purpose for you, for you individually and us collectively as a church and as a body, and God wants to do something through our lives, amen, for such a time as this you were born. Amen. So today we're going to be talking a few of those things. You know, one of my, our favorite family scripture is Romans 8, 28, that says all things work together for good to those that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. Do you believe that today? We believe that as the McCain family. Many of you, many of you have heard Pastor Adam share parts of his testimony, our family testimony, how he was born to a 17-year-old unmarried teenage girl uh, some years back and how through, through chaos in our lives, you know, I was raised in a Christian home and as a little young girl, I gave my heart to the Lord and I loved the Lord and I was in church every time the doors were open and I, I made a commitment to be watching baptized when they gave the one of when the evangelist was in town and said does anybody want to be called to be a missionary I raised my little hand and waved to God just recently as we were unpacking I found my little old baptism Bible that they had written in there the date and when I was baptized but you know right after that my family got in great chaos uh, my parents were divorced many of you may have the same testimony but I was lost I got lost. Anybody ever got lost? But you know what? My God never quit pursuing me and chasing me. I want to I encourage you parents with that today. Amen? There wasn't a time, there wasn't a time that I didn't sense this push, this chase, chasing by God. And even though I wasn't ready at that time to turn around and say, yes, God, but he chased me. There were many times that I would say, no matter where I was or what I was doing, I would put my head on that pillow at night and I'd say, God, if you'll just give me a little bit more time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you just give me a little bit more time. I'm going to get this thing right. But his, his spirit, his, his hand was always upon me in some way or fashion. I can't explain it. I can't explain how it all works out. But God said he takes everything and make it work for its good, for our good. And so God took that precious little boy that was born to that little 17-year-old mother, and he's created a great church, and he's preached throughout the world. We've been able to do all kinds of things for God. Amen. You've all heard it said. He'll take our mess and make a message. Amen. So we want to share with you today that we all have a message, all of our backgrounds, all of the things that we've come to, but God has brought us here for such a time as this. God loves to use the most unlikeliest person because it brings him more glory. He loves to use the most unlikely one, the one that would say, who, me? I'll never forget when I felt God tap me on the shoulder and begin to say, I want you to minister. I want you to uh, share at women's ministry meetings. I want you, and I was like, me? Lord, I, I barely have an education. You want to use me? God said, yeah, because you'll be careful to give me the glory, amen, because you'll know it's not you. You'll know it's not the things even that you've been prepared for. So we want to share on that today. We're going to be talking out of the book of Esther. As many of you know, that, that the title of our message for such a time as this comes out of the book of Esther. Esther is one of the Old Testament books. There are 10 chapters in Esther. And guess what? We're going to read every one of them. No, we're not. I'm doing a Pastor Adam. 
you would be here well past your, your, um, your uh, Panera bread time to go get you, a, get you some soup and salad today. Amen. So we are not going to do that for sake of time. If you would allow me to, I'm going to paraphrase some of the story and then we'll have some relevant scriptures that we're talking about up on the screen. But I encourage you today, when you go home, read the book of Esther. If you've never read the book of Esther, there's some little hidden nuggets in there. There's some great and valuable truths in there. And again, we won't have time to cover them all today, but we're going to try to do a good job of at least presenting the storyline to you. So we're talking about Esther. Esther, who was the most unlikeliest candidate to be used greatly by God. Amen? The Bible says she was an orphan. She was a Jewish orphan. So let's start our story. The book of Esther is set in about 486 B.C. It's set in the time of the Babylonian Empire, or as it was later called, the Persian Empire. There were many Jews living in that area. They had been brought into captivity some years back, but they now lived, they lived not as slaves there, but they lived as servants of that kingdom, as all of the the people in the kingdom lived. And um, so the king that was in power there was King Xerxes. Now stay with us, because I'm going to tell you a lot of Bible truths today. You know, many times they say, why don't you teach the Bible in your churches? Well, we're going to teach the Bible, amen? We always do here at Church on the Hill. So grab these truths. There's some great things you can hang on to. But King Xerxes was the king during that time, during the book of Esther. And he, he was a, a powerful king. And it says, uh, the Bible states that the king decided to give a great party a great feast. We're going to use a little modern-day vernacular. This king decided to throw a 180-day party. Now, I know some of you may think you're party animals, and you might be party-goers, hopefully from times past, but I tell you what, I don't know if any of us have ever partied 180 days because that was some party that this king put on, and he gathered everybody together, and then they had another feast. But as he was partying, it says that they had an open bar, if you will. He said he didn't, they didn't limit anybody from the amount of wine they could drink, that they could have or drink or strong drink. I mean, they were just partying for 180 days. I can't even imagine the outcome or what that room where that party was held looked like when that 180 days was over. But it said the king, when he was high in spirits, he called for his queen. Now see, the queen wasn't over there at the 180 day party, I guess. I don't know where she was, but it said she was given another banquet for some of the wives in her part of the palace. So the king calls for her because the Bible says she was beautiful. Queen Vashti was beautiful. And the king said, call. He told his servants, go and get Queen Vashti. Put her royal crown on and her royal robe. And I want to parade her in front of all my friends and all my, I'm saying this, my drunken 180-day party-going friends. And he sends word to, king, to Queen Vashti to come, and we're going to just parade you. And she sends back and says, oh, oh, oh I'm not coming. So I don't know how she got word. She knew what was going on. She says, I'm not coming. So the king is infuriated. So he gathers all the wise uh, wisdom people around him who, who have studied the law. And he says, oh, great wise men, what should I do? And they said, well, king, she has just disobeyed you in front of all the other women. And if you don't do something and kick her out, all, the other, all of our wives and all the women in the kingdom are, are going to quit obeying us. Amen. So, mm-hmm, and all the women said, yeah, okay. And so, and so Queen Vashti refuses, and the king is furious. So they said, here's what you do. Banish her, put her out. And then they said, listen, we're going we're gonna to hold the first rose ceremony in the Persian Empire. We're going to call all the young, single, virgin women from all around the territories, and we're going to bring them all in here, and you're going to get to choose. 
I, I imagine he was the first uh, uh, out of the Bachelor series. He was the Babylonian Bachelor or the Persian Bachelor. I don't know. Can you imagine that rose ceremony? We just think that all started on television. You see, they were doing that long before we knew anything about it. But they called in all the young women, the beautiful young women from around the territory. territory. And Esther, who was an orphan Jew, she was being raised by her cousin Mordecai. He had adopted her. We don't know all the circumstances surrounding it. The Bible doesn't say. But can you imagine? Here she is, an orphan Jewish girl. And she was chosen as one of the women that came into the palace. And her uncle, guardian, cousin, Mordecai, I'm sorry, uh, cousin Mordecai said, told her, do not reveal who you are. Don't tell him you're a Jew. So Esther goes in, and, um, and it wasn't long after that, after one year of preparation, it's her time to go before the king. Esther has her time of the rose ceremony. I guess it was her time of the individual date series. And she went in, and it says the king loved her more than any of the others. And he chose her and immediately made her his queen. Can you imagine? From a Jewish orphan girl to the queen of all of Persia. And about this time, she served as queen for five years. I imagine in some peace and some prosperity, it says, after this five years, the great conflict arises. In the kingdom during that season, there was a man called Haman. The Bible says he was an Amalekite. The Amalekites hated the Jews. They hated their gods. The Amalekites were a, uh, a, a godless, uh, brutal nation. They believed that o- the only lordship was were, the only lordship given were to those who were brutal and brave enough to go and conquer the weak, if you will. That's not brave, but that's brutal and brute force. And that's who they were. And so the Amalekites hated the Jews. They hated the Jews because at one time when the Jews crossed over the Red Sea, all of the nations around began to fear the God of the Jews. They began to reverence the God of the Jews, but not so the Amalekites. So there was a great history there where the Amalekites had attacked the Jews for for no reason. And so that's who Haman is. Haman rises to power, and he becomes the, the prime minister or the viceroy, if you will, to the king. And the king just gives him the royal scepter. He just tells him, you just go, you can go do anything in my name. They put out a decree that when Haman comes by, this Amalekite comes by, he's the highest in the land next to the king, that everyone was to bow down. So now you can imagine, here goes Haman. Stay with me, we're getting somewhere. Here comes Haman, and he's coming out the palace gates, which is where Mordecai, the Jew, Esther's adopted father, he would stay most of the day so he could get word in and out to Esther, and he could, he could see, uh, hear about her. So he's outside the gate, and here comes Haman. Everyone bows down except for Mordecai. Mordecai says in his heart, I'm I'm not bowing down. He he knows this man is an Amalekite. He hates my people. He's not God-fearing, and he thinks he's God. He thinks he's Lord, and I'm refusing to bow to his lordship. He's, He's not my Lord. Anybody know what I mean? He's not my Lord. That's not my Lord, and I'm not bowing. So word got back to Haman that there was a man who wouldn't bow. Out of all those Around the gates and in the kingdom, there was one that wouldn't bow. And then he found out more. Mordecai was a Jew. And you can imagine how infuriated he was. That gave him even more fuel to his flame. Ooh, the Jews, the hated Jews. They have this God who thinks he's a miracle-working God. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so Haman devises a plan to kill Mordecai. And he's not just happy to kill Mordecai. 
But he's devised a plan. I'm going to wipe out all the Jews. So let's pick up the story right here, Esther 3, 8 through 9. So Haman is devising a plan, and he's going to the king. He says in verse 8, Then Haman said to King Xerxes, There is a certain people dispersed and scattered among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom whose customs are different from those of all other people hmm, and who do not obey the king's law. Is it not in the king's best interest? Is it in the king's best interest to tolerate them? Them, if it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. And I will put ten thousand talents of silver. Boy, he hated the Jews into the royal treasury for the men who carry out this business. The king blindly agrees. I don't know why he's so smitten with Haman and his uh, brutal uh, rulership, but the king agrees. Mordecai finds out, I said earlier, I don't know how Mordecai's finding out all this information in the palace. I'm not sure. Is it texting? I don't think it's texting. The Bible says a courier went back and forth. Did the courier have emojis? Did he use facial expressions when he went back and forth and explained what was going on? I'm not sure. But there were these messengers that would go back and forth. And so word is sent to Mordecai, hears about the plot before anyone else hears about it, evidently. And he begins to weep and wail. And so they send in word to Queen Esther. Your adopted dad out there is out there weeping and wailing. We don't know what's going on. So she sends word. What's going on, Mordecai? And he comes back and he says to her, Haman has made a plan to kill and annihilate all the Jews. He said, Esther, it's your time. You've got to go into the king. You're the only one who could go into the king and stop this. And Esther sends back this and says, I cannot. I've not been in the presence of the king for 30 days. He has not called for me. And the rule in the kingdom at that time was, the law was, you could not enter the king's palace or into his presence. I'm sorry. You could not enter the king's presence without him summoning you. I imagine that was to keep him from being uh, killed or, or, or have a plot to assassinate him. So Esther is fearful. She sends back, I can't do that, Mordecai. I'll be killed. And let's look at Mordecai's answer. This is our key scripture today, Esther 4.14. He says, he sends back, again, I don't know, is he texting? Is the, uh, is the courier? I'm not sure how to. Do not think that because you, in the, you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. You know, many times we quote that scripture. Oh, for such a time as this, Lord. I was created for such a time as this. But Mordecai is actually rebuking Esther. He's saying, hey, you've been the beneficiary of the blessings. Now it's time to be the vehicle of redemption. Sometimes God's calling us to step up. We've received the blessings. Amen. But what is the very first thing Esther does? Look at Esther 4.16. I love it because at this moment, she hears that rebuke. Something must have moved inside of her. Esther 4.16 where she says, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. 
And if I perish, I perish. We used to sing a song back in the 80s. Some of you might, might remember it. If I perish, I perish. But I'm going to see the king. Esther had to decide. If I perish, I perish. But I've got to make an attempt to save my people. Esther 5, 1 through 3. On the third day, Esther puts on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace. Can you imagine? I imagine trembling with fear. You have to understand that anyone who approached that king, the guards around him, they were tasked to prevent someone from entering. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half of, your king, of my kingdom, it will be given to you. From a series of events, the story goes on. The king had favor with Esther and an edict. A law was put out to save the annihilation of the Jews. And not only that, but Haman and all of his descendants were destroyed. Esther stuck her neck out for such a time as this. What are some lessons? What is the thing that we want to take away from this? We want to talk about lessons from Esther today quickly as we get ready to finish up this great lesson. The conflict is always over lordship. You see, Mordecai decided, I will not bow to the ungodly man who thinks he's Lord. I only have one God, and I serve him only. Esther had to decide, I will lay my life down, but it is over lordship. I say this so many times. So many times we come into and we start this journey and we get the blessings of the king's palace. We get to eat of the great food. We get to know that our sins are forgiven and that there's restoration and there's great community and there's a great sense of belonging. And then all of a sudden I call it the crossroads of lordship. How many of you have come to in your life that crossroad of lordship? Are you going to bow? Are you going to obey? Are you going to walk away from that situation? Are you going to stand up for the Lord? Are you going to press forward in the things that God's calling you to do, even when they're hard? That's that question, because it's always about lordship. The conflict is about lordship and who you will bow to. Esther faced the crossroads of her own will and a difficult decision, which was ultimately her destiny. Many of us stand before that crossroad today, and we're in a moral dilemma in our brains. And we're asking the Lord, I want to go forward, but there's fear. There's insecurity. I'm not sure. The Lord's saying to us today, he's called us for such a time as this. Number two, who you are is what is needed. This is especially important to me and my family because we've watched God take all of our dysfunctional things that we had walked through and the chaos that we made there came that time in my life, as I shared with you, when I came to the Lord and I said, now, Lord, here I am with all my baggage and all my junk. I have made a mess of things for years. But Lord, if you can take it and make something out of it, then I give it to you. And I expect and believe that you will turn it around for your good. Again, as I said earlier, I don't understand every detail of it. 
But I know God took what could have been a tragedy, could have been such a bad road ahead. And because we came to him and said, no, you are Lord, he took it and turned it around for his glory. Amen? Esther had to reveal who she really was to make a difference. You know, when we come into this kingdom and, and we, we start this journey, there were times when Pastor Adam and I have talked about this. There are times when some of our story to me is hard. It's hard for me to hear again. It's hard for me to listen to. It's hard for me to know. But God has used our story time and time again. I know because sometimes I'm still emotionally connected to some of those things. But, you know, as we come into this and start this journey, and God begins to heal us and deliver us and give us that walk with him, we're able to. There's a moment when God will call us and he'll say, okay, for such a time as this, will you share? Will you be open? Again, I want you to understand that Queen Esther could not have saved the whole Jewish nation as a Persian queen, but she could save it as a Jewish orphan. Who you are and what you are was born for such a time as this with all of your history, with all of your experiences, the good, the bad, the ugly. God wants to take them all and mix them in that big pot and use it for his glory if we would be allowed to, if you would, you would allow him to. But so many times we're so ashamed. We're so ashamed of where we've been. We're so ashamed to talk about it. And I agree there are times that it may not be publicly, but I know one-on-one -on -one I've had the opportunity to share with people. And they've said, no, Miss Lynn, not you. You could have never walked through those things. I see none of that on you. Amen. 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 On that journey, other side of it. Amen. And I can point back to it. And I can stand on that journey of life as a road sign and say, don't go that way. Don't walk that way. You have a different opportunity than I did. Walk a different way. I'm standing here to tell you, God can make all things work together for good. Amen. Who you are is what is needed in this hour. I believe so many times we come to that crossroad and the Lord's telling us, will you make that next step? Will you leave that behind? Will you walk away from that? Many times we're faced with that. And many times we're afraid because we're afraid of who we've been. If they only knew, Lord. Have you ever said that? If they only knew. If they only knew what I was dealing with. If they only knew what I have dealt with, if they only knew, the Lord says, I know. One of the greatest things that ever was said to me, one time after Pastor Mike and I came home from overseas missions trip, years, six years of serving overseas, and we had gone through a great, a tough time in our life, our marriage. I've shared some of this before, and I was sitting with a pastor friend, and I felt so broken and, and felt so ashamed, and I felt like I had failed God, and how could God ever use me again? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one? How, how could God ever do anything in my life? And I sat with that pastor, and he said, Lynn, do you believe Psalm 139? That all the days ordained for you are written in the book before one of them came to be? Every hair on your head is numbered. He knows your thoughts before you think them. Do you believe that? Yeah, you know I believe that. Didn't the Lord call you? Didn't he call you? Didn't you hear him call you by name? Didn't you see all the miracles and things he's done in your life? Yes. Do you not think that God knew that you would walk through this tough time? Yeah, he knew, but he called you anyway. You see, the Lord knows. He knows. It says all our days are written in the book before one of them come, came to be. He knows, but he wants to bring us in on this great journey and use us for his glory. Amen? For such a time as this. Now is the time to act. 
Stop waiting on God. He is waiting on you. Now is the time. He's caught. He needs you. He needs you to get rid of the shame of your past and to get going and allow God to use it to save others for such a time as this. God has positioned you in situations on your job, in your family to save. God has positioned you to save those around you that need you. They need to hear what you've walked through. They need to hear how God has saved you and delivered you. Amen? Now is the time to act. You know, do not allow comfort to be your enemy. Comfort, like Esther, she was in the palace, right? She was comfortable. Sometimes we just get comfortable. We get comfortable in that group. We get comfortable in that relationship. We get, we, I've, you don't know how many people have come to me and said, I know this relationship is wrong and terrible for me, but I'm comfortable in it. What? Really? So many times we get comfortable. I'm reminded when Pastor Adam was a, a teenager and he was in school for his, his uh, uh, last couple of years of high school. He was in a Christian school. Um, and that was when I thought that everybody was a Christian who was in a Christian school. That's another message. But he was a teenager and he was hanging out with his friends. And, and uh, you know, sometimes he'd go, start to go somewhere with the friends. I'm going to go hang out with the friends tonight, Mom, on a Friday night. And he'd come back 30 minutes into it. He'd come driving up in the driveway. He had his little truck, you know. He'd come back in. He was about 16 years old. We'd say, well, son, what? You're not going with your friends? He said, nah, um, you wouldn't want me to go where they're going. I'm like, what? This is your Christian school friends. You he'd, his next couple of weeks, he'd go with, out and go with his friends, and he'd be back in. And I decided not to go. Remember one time, <laughs> Pop told him, he said, he said came, Adam came in, he said, Pop, I'm going to the movie. And Adam said, well, son, don't, don't go to that movie if Jesus wouldn't watch that movie. He said, uh, okay. So he goes out about 30 minutes later. He comes driving in. <laughs> he, said, uh, he said, Dad, he said, uh, Jesus wouldn't watch that movie. <laughs> but, you know, he had to come out of his comfort zone because it would have been more comfortable to go with everybody. It would have been more comfortable to do what they were doing. It would have been easier to say what they were saying. It would have been better for the, the whole group and, uh, and not better for him. But it would have seemed better for him to go with the group. But he made a choice to not be comfortable. I want to tell you, on his senior year, when as they do as seniors, and he had got his senior yearbook, and all the, they have signing day, you know, where everyone signs in the yearbook and writes little quips and quotes about you and things that you've done and funny little things. And I'll never forget on that day, he came home with his yearbook or his album, and he handed it to me. And I was written in at least one out of every two to three of the passages or the quotes written in that yearbook said, thank you, Adam. You were the one that stood. Thank you, Adam, that we could watch you. Thank you, Adam, you didn't bow. Thank you, Adam, for being an example. Thank you for living what you said, what we said and we didn't. See, there's a price to pay. But in the end, you were born for such a time as this. Amen. Now is the time to act. Passivity in this hour will destroy our lives. Oh, well, I'll just let that go. Oh, well, I'm not going to deal with that. Oh, well, that's passivity. God's calling us. The last couple of weeks, I've had opportunity to pray with some amazing, amazing people, couples and families that, are, that were, were really just having some things bombard them. And, and they, they, kept, they, they reached out. They said, I'm not going to be passive in this. They called and they said, we need prayer. 
We don't know where this is coming from. We know this isn't God, but I'm telling you what we're feeling, what we're sensing. Anybody ever been there? I don't know if this offense, this, this, this uh, misunderstanding, I don't know, but we don't want this. You see, they passed, pushed through it, and they came, and we prayed, and God did amazing things, and they're on the other side of that because guess what? They chose to not be passive. They chose to say, I want to come out of this. And I want to be all that God ha- has for me. I want to do all that God has for me, and I want to be all that God has for me. Amen? We've got to stop that cycle of destruction and disappointment and rejection and insecurity. There's a price to pay to push past that passivity and say, I will not let that take hold like it did in my parents or in my family or in these situations. I will not. I will stop it. You've heard Adam, Pastor Adam say that we had to stop divorce and adultery in our family. We had to say, no, it stops with us. We had to make a stand. Amen. Esther realized one thing, and they're going to put it on the the, uh, screens. Insurmountable problems need a supernatural solution. That's a quote by Pastor Adam. Insurmountable problems need a supernatural solution. Just like I said, these families that came to us, they knew they were facing something insurmountable, insurmountable, and it needed a supernatural solution. So they called for people to pray. They called for people to, pa- to, to fast and pray. They reached out. See, that's the very first thing Esther did, knowing she was tasked to go before the king. She called for the, king, the Jews to fast and pray. Amen. Esther's first step was to fast and pray. When we return next week, we're going to teach you how to battle from your royal position. We're going to teach you who your enemy is and who your enemy is not. Because if you're not aware that you have an enemy and who it is, who the Hamans are in your life, then you will turn and think it's your spouse, your family, your coworker. God's calling us not to be passive and to push past those things. Esther had to push past the fear. Her first response was fear, justifiably so. She could have been killed. But she had to push past her fear. You know, we're preparing right now for some missions trips to be taken all through Church on the Hill. Mike and I are leading a trip to Israel soon, and and, uh, uh, this is a little plug. You can go out and buy some chocolate-covered strawberries today. Amen? They're in the foyer, in the lobby. Please help those guys. These are there's several mission trips going uh, out this year, and they're raising funds and, and trying to generate some funds to step out of their boat. Amen. To step through their fear. One of the one on our team that's going to Israel has never flown before. I said, "That's great. You're going half around the world for your first flight." That, I would say that's stepping out and saying, "If I perish, I perish, but I'm going to Israel." Amen. <laughs> God's looking for some of us who'll just say, hey, if I perish, I perish. But I'm going to do it, God. I'm going. I'm going to step out. You know, I want to tell you a little dog named Butch. Getting ready to close this up. I I have to tell you a story about a little Cajun dog named Butch. See, Cajun dog Butch, was his his owner was uh, was Thibodeau. 
And so uh, K- K- little Cajun Butch was the little dog. And in, in Louisiana, the little Cajun Butch dog lived on about two acres of land. And he could run that whole land. He could have the freedom. He could run all over those couple of acres. But little Butch kept wanting to run over and, uh, and eat Mr. Jones's chickens and, and go down and, and run all around. And so, he, he, so Thibodeau had to put one of those little things in the ground, you know, where they bury the little wire around and make the little invisible fence. You know what I'm talking about? And the little dog has a little collar on so that it trains him. When he gets up to that fence, it'll give him just a little shock. And and he backs out and it teaches and trains him that he doesn't want to go up past that invisible fence line, right? So Thibodeau said he would watch Butch and Butch would, uh, would watch all the other little animals go by. He'd sit in the yard. He was pretty happy to roam his little acre or two. But there came a time when Butch, you could tell, he just got dissatisfied. And he kept watching all the other little dogs come passing by, and they'd look over at him like, why are you over there? they just keep passing by. And then all of a sudden, the little squirrels would come around, nah, 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 nah. And then, of course, here comes the cat going, mm-hmm, and walking right past it. And Butch the dog was like, he was getting more antsy and antsy to be on the other side of that invisible fence. And Thibodeau said one day, he's watching Butch. He said, finally, he saw Butch got determination on his face. He said, Butch started doing his feet like the bull does in the ground. He started doing this, and it said he backed his ears, and he said he watched him. He took off running, and he ran with all his might. And when he hit that invisible barrier, little line there, it says he went across that invisible barrier, and it went, and he was on the other side to free. Some of you just need a little, and you'll be on the other side to free. Amen. The Bible calls it these light and momentary afflictions that are far, we're going to get far more than what they hold. Amen? So some of you need to be like Butch the dog and back your ears and say, if I perish, I perish. But this is my moment. This is my time. I'm going to stand up for what I know God is calling me to do. Amen? Ronald Reagan was one of our great presidents. And in March 3rd, on March 30th, 1981, 69 days into his presidency, a single bullet which nearly took the life of one of America's greatest presidents altered the course of history forever. Believing that his life was spared for a reason, President Reagan wrote this in his autobiography and an American life. Perhaps coming so close to death made me feel I should do whatever I could in the years God has given me to reduce the threat of nuclear war. That's a quote by Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan was credited with, 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 some other, with others but having an integral part of ending the Cold War. He said to Gorbachev, the leader of the communist Russia at that time, tear down this wall. He, President Reagan stood for something that he knew was right and what he believed in. And many of you know that in 1989, that communist wall that had been there for so many years came down. And the people who had been held in bondage and held in that communist area were able to come out. And the threat of Cold War was stopped. Mike and I particularly got to be a part of that season. That was the season that God gave us. We were some of the first people that were honored and able to go into those nations that had not had the gospel preached in 40 years. Some of them, the places that we were able to go in and preach the gospel, the last person to preach there had been Hitler who was putting forth his propaganda. We were able to go because one man decided if that bullet had taken me out, my life would have ended. So I think it's worth it to make a stand for what is right. God's calling us. 
to make a stand for what is right. Would you stand with me today? Stand to your feet. Would you just close your eyes and bow your heads just for a minute? Make this a personal space. Here at Church on the Hill, we were, we were hoping and believing that this message would encourage you, that you were destined and purposed for such a time as this. Maybe you have struggled to believe that who you are is what is needed. Maybe you've looked at your own life at times with shame and guilt. I believe the Lord is encouraging you today. It's time. It's time to walk away from that. There came a time in mine and my husband's life when we had to draw a line in the sand with some family members and some things that were broken. And we had to draw a line in the sand. And we had to say, yeah, we did all that. We did do that. We did go into some of those things. We did hurt you before we knew the Lord. But we ask you to forgive us because the Lord has forgiven us. And now we're not going to live back there anymore. And we had to draw a line in the sand and we said, we ask you to forgive us for all the things that were done wrong, misappropriate, but we're going forward. We'd love for you to come forward with us. But if you don't, then it's okay because we have to go forward. Some of you need to say today, I'm just drawing a line in the sand. I'm just going forward. I'm coming out of it. I may have to admit some things to some people. I may have to, to repent. I may have to get some things straight, but I'm coming out of it. I believe God's talking to you this morning. And if passivity has kept you from acting courageously, I believe that, I believe that today you've heard a word, I hope, has encouraged you. Let's just pray together. Father, we pray right now, Father, for everyone here under the sound of my voice. Father, I pray right now that they would be courageous, that God, today, they would sense an infusion of courage by the Spirit of the living God. Father, that they would do like Queen Esther when faced with a difficult decision, a difficult decision to come out of her comfort area and to step forward. Father, I pray today that they've heard your voice and that, Father, you would just fill them with courage today to walk in the way that they should do. Let this be a day. Let this be a day of change in their lives, Father. We give you praise, Father, in Jesus' name. Now keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Pastor Sean is going to come and lead you in a prayer. This morning as Mimi spoke and said, you're at the crossroads of life. You've been running. You're, you're at this moment of, of pushing back against your will, and God has been in the same way that he chased down Mimi down. You're here this morning. You say, man, Pastor Sean, God has chased me down. I want to pray with you this morning. If you're in this room and you say, you know what? I, I know I've been running against my will. I've been trying to live my life. I've been, I've been running and doing my own thing, but it's time for me. God has chased me down, and I'm ready to begin my life. But Jesus, I want to pray with you. Every head will be bowed across this room. Every eye closed. This is not a moment for us to bring you up and parade you around anything. This is a moment between you and I and Jesus for you to start a relationship with him. This morning, if you say, Pastor Sean, I want prayer, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Right now, if you're in this room and you say, Pastor Sean, pray with me, I want to be able to. I see that hand right there. I, I see another hand right there as well. I see hands going up across the room. Anybody else in this room, you say, hey, I want to start that moment. I see the hand in the middle. You can put the hand down. Go ahead and put those hands down. Anybody else in this room, you say, you know what? Pastor Sean, pray with me. I'm ready. I'm ready after the battle of my will. I see that hand to say yes to the Lord. I see that hand in the back. Thank you. Thank you for your boldness. This morning, that's that moment. This is this Esther moment that you've had to say, I'm going to be bold. I'm not going to sit in passivity. 
Anybody else? I'll give you a couple more minutes. Be bold. I see that hand back there. Thank you for your boldness. Be bold. I want to pray with you this morning. You're not going to pray by yourself. We're going to pray together as a congregation. And today marks the day of your destiny. All those things from the past, all the things that ruined you, all the things that were messed up that you said, I have no idea how to put this together. God knows how to put it together this morning. So repeat after me. See, Jesus, come on, everybody across the room. Jesus, I love you. And I'm sorry. I've lived my life to glorify myself. But I want to glorify you. Write my name in your book of life. Forgive me of all my sins. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm not going to live my old way. I'm going to run after you. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to pray for you a little more. God, I just thank you for these believers, God. I thank you for the miracle of salvation, God. I thank you that you're the God who chases us down, Lord God. It's not how we got to you. It's about how you got to us. And so, Jesus, right now, I pray for these believers, Lord. I pray that you would encourage their heart. And, God, I pray that they would get into community. And, Lord God, I pray that as they continue to run towards you, Lord God, that you continue to bless them. God, we're going to be bold for you this week. Lord God, we're not going to stand by and pass everything. God, I pray that we will be marked by this message. Lord God, that as we face our proverbial Hammonds, when we have our opportunity to walk in and God, to be able to deny the bonuses, deny the opportunity, God, I pray that you would give us the strength and the boldness to be messengers for you. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.